I'm having fun right now. Yeah, you look you look like it. You seem yeah. like it. You've been with me when I I wasn't having as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been there. Yeah. I threw I threw my hands up, dude. I I tried to quit. Really? It was one of those who do you got to sleep with to get out of this business. That's what I was. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Troy Cartwright here. Welcome to Ten Year Town. I am joined this week by an absolute legend, Mr. Billy Montana. You know Billy from songs like Suds in the Bucket by Sarah Evans, Night Shift by John Party, and his multiple number ones with Lee Bryce, including Hard to Love and one of my favorite songs in the last few years, Memory I Don't Mess With. Billy is a mentor to me. He is so wise, and I think that there is so much value in this episode. So without further ado, Billy Montana. How how you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Did you ride today? Yes. How did it go? Really good. Good. Man, you're a great writer. You Thank have you. a lot of great songs. Thank you. We, I mean, we've... We have a lot of great songs. We do, but so do you, apart from what we've done That's together. That's very kind of you to say. No, uh, no. You know, uh, ben, ben here, producer Ben, also guitar player in my band, his favorite song, All the World's Problems. Oh, yeah. Right? Big time. I mean, come on. Big time. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's awesome. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Brandon and Troy and I kind of got this, as you can tell, got this thing going where we understand each other and we're always trying to dig a little deeper. And yeah, I mean, not, not, not necessarily deep songs, but just trying to make them. It's killer. Really killer. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of, uh, I've kind of been making a little record. Like I call it, I call it my secret record. But, you know, there's a lot of songs from that trio on there. Mm. And I, I've kind of sequenced it. I've kind of been I working on it a little bit at a time, as you know. Uh, and uh, I played it I played it for, for the band the other night. We were leaving a gig, and I was like, it was pretty late. It was like midnight, and I was just like, hey, listen to this. Just played it all the way down, and it was pretty sick. Was it? It was pretty sick. Did you like it? Oh, man. I, I mean, because like I've known... <laughs> I've known like Troy's stuff and I've known like how incredible he is and I love listening to it. But like hearing all of those songs together on one album, I was just like, dude, I knew you were like killer. I didn't knew you were like, Uh, that's awesome. It's going to be special. Incredible. Um, But it's fun. It's fun to get to make something and kind of like take, like, I got no deadlines, you know, I'm just sometime when it's right. It will be time mm-hmm. and we'll when it's make right. sure we launch it the right way. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. But that's really cool. I digress. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. Um, Billy Montana, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I start this thing off, mm-hmm. the same question for everybody. And I just say, uh, so how long have you been in town? Well, the, I mean, I've lived here for 34 years. Okay. But I actually started coming to town in the late 1800s. <laughs> no, that's oh, I'm man. just kidding. That's an exaggeration. That uh, first time in town was 1983. Wow. So 40 years. Where, where, where before that? Where were you? I was in upstate New York. Okay. And we came down here because I was in a band, you know, the whole local band thing. Yeah. Um, started making some noise you know getting some local radio airplay big crowds at the shows and all that stuff and so we just kind of came down here to see what was going on yeah 
and it, it opened the door. Did uh, did people like when I when I started out and I was doing my thing in Texas, like it kind of got to a point where people were like, "You you should." I know this one guy in Nashville. You should go down there and call him up or whatever. Is that kind of similar the way that it worked? Ish. Yeah. Uh, because what the way we did it is we were able to, we got an investor mm-hmm. that gave us some money to make a record. She, gotcha. she believed in us. She was just an independent person. Yeah. She believed in us. We had this album that, uh, the guy's name was Joe Waters, and he had a studio and audio school, audio engineering school up in Chillicothe, Ohio. Okay. And we saw him at some sh- showcase for fairs, you know, and that, that we were also, you know, showcasing for, and Joe was showcasing for it. And on the back of it, in, on the liner notes, he had like Eddie Bears and... Uh, playing drums and Paul Worley playing electric guitar oh, and cool. Larry Paxton playing bass and all these guys that were playing on our favorite country records, which were Alabama records. Yeah. You know, early, yeah. early eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we spoke to him and he said, if you can get some money together, we can make a record that can get you a record deal. So and we did that in 83, 84. We made a record that got the attention of Warner brothers in Nashville and we still lived in upstate New York, but they sent three A&R reps up to a little little wow. town in upstate New York and came to a bar that was kind of one of our homesteads, but it was small. I mean, it was like this, dive this room. Yeah, yeah, it was a little... It was just funny seeing record executives in that setting. Were they wearing suits and stuff? Like, did they stick out? Or three, three ladies? They did kind of stick out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, because our crowd wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> it was funny, <laughs> but they they heard something, and yeah. so they signed us pretty quickly after that. That's awesome. Did yeah. you did you move down or not no, right away? Kinda... I didn't want to uproot my family. Um, yeah, that quickly it was so far away from home. My wife was pretty tight with her family. Yeah. And I felt like it wasn't fair to be relocating her to someplace where she didn't know anybody and the future was very uncertain. Sure. So we held off. I actually didn't move here. That's why there's about a six-year difference between when I first started coming to Nashville I see. and when I moved to Nashville. Okay. That's why I, I thought about your question. Your very first question kind of made me pause for a second. Yeah, yeah. I understand. When you started coming down here, did you like get steeped in the songwriting culture or was it kind of a slow introduction? It was the first. Okay. It was where I learned how it worked. Like being a major recording artist, and you know this, is yeah. like people are clamoring to write with you because you have the potential to make them some income. Right. And I I got to experience sitting on the side of the publisher's desk where they're pitching you songs because you have the potential to make them some income. I see. Nobody knows who the next, at that time, Randy Travis or Garth Brooks was going to be. Sure. So, you know, they, so, but it, it taught me. And then the label got me with songwriters that I admired their work and respected their work. And so I learned how to hone the craft a little bit better. Yeah. I learned how the system worked. It was, it was That was school for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is like a an education. Definitely. Kind of throw you and in the fire. I didn't know. I, I didn't know 
that the songwriting world was that kind of world. Like I didn't know that it was kind of had its own thing. Yeah. So oh, you, it enlightened me. I feel like the songwriting culture in Nashville is very unique. Agree. In that it's systemized sort of in a way mm -hmm. and it's very concentrated. Agree. Whereas from my very limited experience in LA or elsewhere, it's- It's it, not the same thing. No. No. But like if you want to learn how to write a song, come to Nashville. This is the place. This is the place. This must be the place. <laughs> okay. So you're here. What made you decide to make the jump and move move the family and losing a record deal? Okay. <laughs> it's a great catalyst. It was a great catalyst for my career as well. <laughs> I mean, if I was gonna stay in it, we had to take the plunge. And dude, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but I never had less money than when I had a record deal. Oh, bro. Preaching to the choir okay. on that one. Good. Yeah. Glad you to understand. Towards the end. Yeah. At first, you're we like, were, wow, lump sum. We were milked dry. Yeah. And so- Had nothing left. We had nothing keeping us up, <laughs> up north anymore. And so we that's when we made the plunge. One of the um, guys that I respected- the most because I felt like he was a really good song plugger. Mm -hmm. It was named Woody Bomar. And um, he seemed to like, I, th I felt like he'd go into the office really early as a publisher, listen to music that artists that were up and coming were making so that he would know the best songs to play for them, to pitch mm. them. And so uh, I turned the tables like when we lost a record deal. So, like I said, you know. <clears throat> the publishers were playing songs for me because I had the potential to make them money. I started playing songs for publishers. Yeah. But Woody was the first one that I went to, certainly one of the first ones. And um, he couldn't, you know, he didn't have the resources to give us what we needed to make the move, but he knew somebody that did, a, a company that did. And so he introduced me to that company and they signed me while I was still in New York state, giving me an opportunity to move my family down here. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was different than a lot of people who have to bang on doors and all that stuff. Well, the record deal gave me a leg up be yeah, just because of relationships. Totally. And I, and I, I relate to that. You know, I, I have probably been open privately and publicly about like, I had a lot of frustration being signed and there was a lot about it that like was hard and was hard on me. But at the end of the day, most of the friendships and connections I got were through that first deal that, that got me in the door. And once you're in the door, the rest is up to you. Exactly. You got to go make it happen. Yep. But I'm not sure that I would have, a, have all the opportunities I have now or that I had, um, had I been just coming in. I know nothing. I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't have that kind of fortitude to, I just, it's so funny. I mean, here we are. I wrote for 12 years before I had a hit record. Yeah. So I'm, I, I was just about to say, I don't have the fortitude to, you know, be well, clearly do. doggedly about doing something, <laughs> but apparently that's not true. I must <laughs> because I'm still here. Yeah. <clears throat> You're, yeah, you're. Um, I gutted it out. But. I think you find, I found for sure, like you know, a lot tougher than I than I thought I was. Yeah, you survive, and dumb dumb stuff happens all the time. Yeah, in, in a good way. And you have to find, from my experience, I found even if it was just one person that was willing to, 
carry the banner for me or be an advocate for me somehow with my writing or yeah. whatever, that was enough to keep me going and keep me charged and, and keep me viable to be able to do what I was doing. Yeah. How did that work? Was that like a couple different deals, publishing yeah. deals strung together? If you well, say you had 12 years between kind of when you started and it was, your first it was, hit. But it was only three different deals mm-hmm. over 12 years, which isn't bad. You know, the first one only lasted two years. It was 1989 to 1991. And I didn't really lose my deal. It was that the company just sold and got out. There wasn't an, it was an investor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, a lot of times they grow weary of losing money. <sighs> and so they just yeah. pull the plug. Sure. You know, the five-year plan becomes a three-year plan. Yeah. So that's what happened. So then I found, I actually got to swing back to Woody Bomar and got to write for him for a couple of years. Oh, cool. And uh, I didn't have any hits in that catalog, obviously. Got some cuts, got my first major cut on a Tim McGraw record that was, it was it was the one before Indian Outlaw, before he blew up, you know, yeah. so kind of a under the radar cut. Sure. And then... um and then I landed with Diana Mayer and Brent Mayer. And Brent produced all the Judd records, okay. uh, wrote a bunch of their songs like Why Not Me and Rockin' With the Rhythm of the Rain, Girls' Night Out. Wow. Yeah, he just, uh, they got me yeah. and I loved them. And so we actually were in a business relationship for the next 16 years. Wow. And Diana pitched a guitar vocal of Bring On the Rain to Jody Messina in a kind of a group pitch thing. It was called Chicks with Hits. And so it was all these female song pluggers. Yeah. And Jody was present and Diana played her the demo. And um Jody said right away, she says, I'm gonna cut that song. And wow. that was the first hit record I was a part of writing. Yeah. Did that uh did that kind of feel like it changed your life when it happened? You know, it 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 sort of did, but it was, the waters were muddied by 9-11. Like the record actually came out, the single came out on September 10th, wow. 2001, yeah. Monday. Tuesday, the towers went down. Yeah. And suddenly we reassessed, all the, all of the America and maybe the world reassessed what was important. Yeah. And so for a long time after it was out and kind of, the song was kind of doing its thing, it didn't matter mm. as much. Sure. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Like you think it's a, it should be the greatest thing. And it was a wonderful, amazing thing. And in fact, so Monday the song was released, Tuesday the towers went down. I heard the song on Thursday, two days after the towers went down. Radio stations were not playing music because of 9-11. Everybody was, Doing did news. not want to be entertained. They wanted to be informed. Yeah. So even country music stations turn to call-in shows basically all day yeah people asking you know they wanted to give blood they wanted to send money they wanted to what what can we do to help who are we where are we all these questions and i had just pulled in our driveway under the american flag that we were flying and the some DJ somewhere had taken Bring on the Rain and interwoven sound bites from Ground Zero and President Bush speaking and wow. news feeds. And while the song was playing, these sound bites were hmm. woven through. And dude, I lost it. I cried like a baby. That's making me a little emotional right oh, now. Oh man, it was 
um, in retrospect, and, and the song went on to have its own life. Mm-hmm. It wasn't associated with 9-11, but the fact that it was being played that soon after, like I think Faith Hill's got a national anthem, Star Spangled Banner, and then um, maybe God Bless the USA. Yeah. You know, were the only other songs that were songs that were being played at that time. Wow. But I, it, it has subsequently helped me to recognize that the reason I got into songwriting was to be able to speak into people's lives. And when that song did that, that was an important nod to me that I was doing yeah. what I wow. should be doing. Yeah, that's so um, kind of incredible. Yeah. It's just validating in a way that it's impossible to quantify, you know. It just, you know, resonates with the with the soul. Yep. And that's kind of what keeps you going. Yep. We need that sometimes. Yep. It's uh heaven knows we're banging our heads against the wall <laughs> often enough. It's really it's really good to break a brick once in a while. <laughs> oh my god. Was that your first number 1 or It was. Okay. I did have a song that got to in the 20s a year or two prior to that, Mm -hmm. um, a song called The Hunger. Okay. That was uh, Steve Holy, again, it was the record right before Good Morning Beautiful when he really, he blew up for a while and was able to have some really big hit records. But um, yeah, I had a song that I think peaked at number 25 or something. Which was kind of a cool shot in the arm. Like I got my first sizable BMI check, and and people were still buying records back then. Mm-hmm. So so oh, did yeah. did having cuts on a. I mean now, it's like if you don't have the single, it doesn't even matter. Right. But I, I've I've heard stories of the glory days, yeah. where you could have a cut and it would it would pay your Keep you know you going or or like if I mean some of these people had like two or three songs on a Rascal Flatts record and it would. I mean, it was it was a lot of dough. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me. <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> but it was keeping you around. It it was. Yeah, my dangling first, the carrot. Uh, that was my first. Uh, so, you know, the first single that did anything was "The Hunger." Then, "Bring on the Rain" was my first major hit, and then, but prior to that, I'd gotten cuts like. Leon Womack, I had a couple of Leon Womacks, I had a couple of Blake Shelton's, you know, yeah. on, on their first album or two. Sure. It was enough to keep me around. Yeah. A little taste. A little taste. Um, well, so you have this this hit and like did that uh did that change the rooms you were getting into? Did it change your life, you know, your writer life at all, or was it just sort of validating and you got to keep doing more of the same it's the latter i i thought it was going to do all those things mm-hmm. i mean i it didn't hurt obviously it's it didn't help as much as i thought it was gonna yeah to be honest with you sure and you know i uh, i mean definitely getting good royalty checks was motivation but i really I feel like I've always been kind of one of those writers that was more like not chasing something. Yeah. More like just writing what I think is a great song and letting that happen. Yeah. So 
it did give me confidence though. I yeah. Mean, it boosted my confidence. I think I explained to you a little bit about kind of what this podcast is about, but it's called 10 year town. And, and the reason I'm doing it is, is I want to create a bunch of different interviews or whatever resources for somebody just moving to town mm-hmm. or they're thinking about moving to Nashville to be able to just listen to a bunch of people's stories and realize, mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, everybody's path is different, but there are similarities. Okay. It's interesting. A lot of people so far have asked, what was it like having your first number one? And did it change your life? And the answer is often didn't change my life. I mean, the money helps, but it, it mostly just helped people feel a little bit of validation. Yes. It was like payback for the, the years before, yes. you know? Um, but also to just help people understand that doing what you do, what makes you unique as a writer, this is a general you, not a you specifically. Yeah, a person, a writer. Yeah, is is what will sustain you. And so when you have success, you know, it's not like all the people that you write with are dramatically going to change. Right. It's just you're going to be able to keep doing what you love to do with the people you love to do it with. And I'm sure... Because you receive some validation for it. Yeah. But but it's it's the people that you're in the trenches with. Right. That, are, that make the whole journey worthwhile so and i always try and remember that when i'm when i'm frustrated or when i'm at mm-hmm. a an event not to you know when i first got here it was always a, a scan the room maybe see who had the most clout that i could talk to or something and i can and, relate yeah and and you know you i don't i don't have the um experience that you have but still even now when i'm at stuff it's like i don't and this is all whatever. I just, I'm glad I get to do this and I'm, I'm glad I'm here and I, I like the people I like. It's, be- that's, <laughs> it's a way better attitude and will make, honestly, it'll make for better songs and a, and just a more enjoyable experience. Yeah. Which I think you're having that. I'm having fun right now. Yeah. You look, you look like it. You seem yeah. like it. Yeah. You've, you've been with me when I, I wasn't having as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> you've had to listen to me uh, in the depths of some despair for sure. <laughs> And I've been there. <laughs> yeah. I threw I threw my hands up, dude. I I tried to quit. Really? It was one of those, who do you got to sleep with to get out of this business? That's what I was, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was searching for. Yeah. But, um, man, it's all part of the deal. It makes, when it does, when you do find a little bit of a sweet spot for a while. Yeah. Uh, it just makes it sweeter. I mean- it we does. learn, somebody said one time, we learn precious little from our successes. Yeah. It's our failures that teach us things. That's very true. That's very true. Well, in that, in that spirit, you know, you've, you've got children that are in the music industry, two of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Was that hard for you to, like, did you ever try and talk them out of it? No, because I thought that would have been so hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. And I would have been right. <laughs> but yeah. I got to tell you, Troy, it was like, I was like, are you freaking crazy? Like, yeah. where were you the first 18 years of your life? <laughs> Did you not see what I went through? Yeah. But I do think, too, that part of that, you know, almost like that trying to quit when I was, what I was talking about, where just, you know, those... How hard were you trying to quit? I couldn't think of anything else to do. 
Yeah. I just didn't, there was nothing else I could do. Yeah. It never, I figured. It was too late. It was too late. Yeah. You know what's funny back in, I think it was 95, 96 or something. And I'd had a, I'd had a couple Leon Womack cuts. And I was taking a walk with my dad who lives vicariously through me still to this day. He's 86 years old. He still lives vicariously (laughs) through me because he's a musician and he writes some songs and he and my stepmom go around and play music still. Oh, I love that. It's very inspiring. Yeah. And we were taking a walk and I was like, man, I'm having to work second jobs. I have a wife. I have three children. I am not stepping up to the plate. I'm not being the breadwinner that I know I'm supposed to be and all these things. And I said, I just got to think of something else to do. And I was thinking my dad, who was like, a, he was an educator. And I thought he would be like, yeah, it's, you know, it's really time to buckle down, yeah. you know, grow up. Sure. And he was just like, he said, you can't quit now. <laughs> You've come too far. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> He says, you got to keep going. You know too many people. And I'm just like, I know that's true, but man, I'd like to quit right now. Yeah. Yeah. W- yeah. I I have fantasies about getting a real job sometimes. But, <laughs> yeah, but then. Yeah, but then dude, you got to do it. think about that. I know. And, and that's crazy. I know. I know it is. And I give a lot of credit to my, my dad as well, because he, he did a job that he was successful at for a long time. And, you know, he was an accountant and. You know, he would always tell me, he's like, just do something you love. Like, I don't, I don't love this. Amen. And that's what it came around to. You were asking about my kids and it was like, I mean, you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, Hey man, nobody tried to talk me out of it. Or if if they did, I didn't pay any attention. Yeah. So I knew dang well, they wouldn't pay any attention to me. Sure. But, um, and nor should they, because I think, I mean, part of this, what you're talking about is everybody finding their own road and their own path. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't one of those know-it-all parents, and I'm still not. And so I just, I didn't feel strongly that they shouldn't do it, Yeah, you know? It blew my mind that they wanted to do it. Sure. It's like, should I have been more honest <laughs> about the struggle? Oh, I was honest. <laughs> <laughs> Left no doubt. There was no doubt. Oh, my God. But I, I loved, they knew that I loved what I was doing at the very core of it all. Yeah. And so they're, they love what they're doing, too. Yeah. And that's so special. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's what you want for your kids, man. You just want so what be, your dad said about you. Yeah. Just do something you love to do. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I am oftentimes, like, upset, but deep down, I am content. And that's all you can really do. Exactly. Know? Just and and dude, if you were working on a different thing, yeah, you'd be upset with that sometimes too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I keep thinking back. I keep because we do that where we go. God, it just would be nice just to have a steady paycheck. Mm-hmm. And yeah, health benefits. Yeah, <laughs> but then, but then there's this other side that's just sort of like you would be so. Yeah. Unhappy in other ways. So would I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was, when I just got out of college and I, I had this mental image that I was like Tarzan and I was sitting on this tree and I had like 14 different ropes in my hand. Got to pick the right rope. And I was like, man, if I, if I grab this one, the music one, I don't know. At a certain point, 
you know, you jump off, a few go away. You're holding six ropes and then you go a little further and you're, you're down to two and you're just going, yeah. ah, what am I going to do? But I just, I just kept hanging on. Yeah. And here Got I am. It. Got to. Hanging on is, I guess, the whole. Look at you. You're a podcaster now. <laughs> you and Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. Um, hopefully this can be as big as, as Joe Rogan. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> there are a lot of people interested in what we do. Yeah. Well, I mean, People that's like hearing that's the hope behind the scenes things. And yeah, I just love that. You know, it's really like I tell my wife all the time because I, I get these back and I on Saturdays I go listen to them while I watch walk around the neighborhood. And like it, it really, you know, I've said it a couple of times already, but like it does, it resonates with my soul. I just love, I feel so lucky to get to hear stories, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ultimately songs life i like to read books like i'm a collector of stories mm -hmm. so to get to hear people's stories is is uh is so fun for me i love that yeah um, that's really cool so yeah thanks for indulging me in this passion project um how did it how did it transition over time were there any like more watershed moments along the way like hearing your song on the radio or things like that like do you have any things that really stick out to you like getting introduced to certain collaborators that you've worked with or, or certain songs that were high points for you along the way? Yeah, I've, I've always felt like, you know, I've, I've gotten a chance to meet and hang with some people that I really admire and really respect. And that's, that's a gift, you yeah. know, that I just, I just love that I, have been able to do that and that it is music that has afforded me that opportunity sure. that I wouldn't have if I was doing something different. So, you know, there's, there was always something unique, honestly, about especially the first three hits that I was a part of. So it started with Bring on the Rain, which I already told you about that 9-11 thing, which yeah. was, I mean, the way that went down um, was... I don't know. Yeah. You just special won't be replicated. Yeah. Um, the second one was suds in the bucket, which was a completely different animal. Mm -hmm. It's the first time I heard a rough mix of one of my songs that I actually allowed myself. My mind said, man, if they put that out as a single, I think that could be a hit. Wow. <laughs> Cause I usually don't do that, but Paul Worley, produced that thing and I thought they made such a great record. I yeah. I just couldn't hear anything wrong with it. And wow. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. The next one was was really big, a little bit also surreal, was a song called More Than a Memory. Yeah. That I wrote with Lee Bryce and Kyle Jacobs. And I knew Lee would record the song because he freaking loved it. And he sang the crap out of it. It was He's just got so awesome. Such a my one of my favorite voices ever. Mm. Yeah, you'll have to listen to that because the demo's on iTunes now. You can get the oh demo wow and, of him singing it. Okay, guitar, piano, vocal. It'll slay you. Wow. But uh, of course, uh, Garth Brooks, who had been you know kind of stepped away from the music business for maybe eight eh, six years, I think he was he wanted to raise his daughters up into high school age. He was looking for a song to reintroduce him to the touring and recording yeah. 
world of country music. And so it was such an impassioned demo and song. My publisher sent it, just it, over to the Garth camp. And a guy named Scott Sherrod over there played it, sent it to Garth, put it on a CD, whatever. And yeah. um, Garth ended up falling in love with it, recorded it. So in the span of maybe six months, and in one week, the song went to number one, like the first week it was out. There were stations that played more than a memory on the hour, every hour. Wow. It's the only time it's happened in country music history. Does it go up? And then does it, does it stay there? It went to number one. And then the next week it dropped back to number 10 because they weren't playing it every hour on the hour. Sure. But then it spent the next several weeks working its way back up to number two and spent two more weeks at number two. Wow. Almost made it to number one a second time, which would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then ended up you know, falling off after that. But yeah. its its entire life was in the top 10 pretty much. Wow. I know. It was That's got to like bizarre. have never happened before. Never happened before. Yeah. Only, only Garth. Garth. Oh, my Garth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that was obviously a very pivotal yeah. moment in my career to be a part of a song like that. Yeah. But even so, Troy, it's, it's still not like, I mean, you still go in the next day and do your thing. Yeah. Do the work. You do the work. It's so funny. It's good though. Yeah, I, I I think about that. You know, it's like in high school, like you win the the whatever the game. Yeah, you think your whole life is is going to change, and Mm -hmm. you know, still got to go to math class or whatever. I'm sure people you've heard, you know, hey, it only takes one. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I mean, it only takes one every few years. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one is never enough. Well, because it's it ends up be coming back to being the whole reason that you started doing it. Yeah, it's because you love it. Sure. So, but yeah, you just, who cares? You get, you know. Yeah. It's because you love it. It's because you love it. What do you do to? Uh, do you do a lot of preparation for the rights? Do Sometimes. You, do you try and, you know, do you have any any cool mm. methods you do to farm ideas or anything, or is it? I I do try to. And and not specifically, but I definitely accumulate titles mm-hmm. that I think, and you know this because our our experience together. And but um, I think it's good to have at least that to start from yeah. to some degree because at least it's something you can fall back on. I'm very work a day as a writer. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, like I almost disappoint myself sometimes in that. I'm not one of those that's up at two in the morning because I've been inspired by something writing a song. I okay. go I go to my office and I know I'm there to write a song. I actually don't write amazingly in the confines of my home because I'm always distracted by other things. Yeah. But if I'm in if I'm in a studio or the office, I can be very focused on what I'm doing. And I'm one of those writers that needs to do that. I need to be focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'll, I might start a song uh, on my own, kind of work up a, oh, there was a song we wrote that I did that hammer. Yeah. And I had, you know, what I thought were the bones to the, to the chorus, Mm -hmm. had some cool lines, 
But you and Brandon took that and just turned it into what it was supposed to be. Well, I remember you brought that in. I don't remember exactly what you said, but I remember Brandon started playing it, that riff. Yes. And then I said, you said hammer, and I said, ah, yeah, there's a screw, followed by you. And then that was kind of the riff. took off to the races. Yeah. So there was some preparation for that in sure. that I had a bit of a song started. It didn't end up being anything really like what I had. Conceptually, it did. Yeah, but... But maybe the melody was different or, or whatever. Way different. Yeah. Uh, way, you know, we ended up finding way cooler lines and stuff like that. But that's one way of doing it. So definitely starting with a title because I'll tell you another thing is that I've I've written up to where the hook should go and been just terribly disappointed in not being able to get a hook that lived up to the, everything that went to that hook. Yeah. And I get, that frustrates me. Mm -hmm. that becomes almost like I look at it as a, gosh, we wasted all this time getting all these cool lines coming up to, and, and I'm let down by the hook. I want to be, you know who always, I felt like almost always had amazing hooks in her music was Leon Womack. Mm -hmm. You're always my last call. Yeah. Or Little Past Little Rock. There were, there were always things that right before, the lines that come in right before the hook that sets the hook off so great. Yeah. And so I I aspire to get those types of things that really make a hook when somebody hears it go, oh my gosh, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So when, like with Bring on the Rain, when we got the line, I'm thirsty anyway, so Bring on the Rain, I was like, that's a cool line. Yeah. I we knew, I felt like we that. were on something yeah. at that point. So I do that. Um, I try to... Honestly, now my goal is to have a good day with my compadres that are that I'm in the room with. Yeah, just to have a good day, and I'll, I'm going to say nine times out of ten, a really good song comes out of everybody just being relaxed about it. I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to come to come up with something, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't think that was as effective or helpful as going in and just saying, hey, let's just have a good day to begin with and see what happens. Yeah. So there's some of that too. Do you usually finish or do you, are you a person that likes to go back a couple times? Like what's your... I would say normally finish, but yeah. not afraid to do some editing gotcha. and rewriting afterwards. Okay. Because... Uh, Diana Mayer was always like, hey, you got what you got. You can always, you, you always have that. Yeah. Hey, I don't know. What if you make it better? Sure. <laughs> oh, that's the worst thing that can happen is you make it better? I'm all about it. Sure. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind editing later, but I do get, I get like depressed when we don't finish. I song. like finishing too. Yeah. Even if it's like, ah, maybe this isn't right. But. but here, I'll tell you in the last few years, I've been less about that and just like, yeah, man, we'll just get it and finish it. I've been more chill about it. A little more zen. And I think it's been, I think that's helpful. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If if you were starting over at the beginning well, and you were, you know, whatever, 20-something-year-old person, kid, moving to town, what advice would you, would you give yourself? You know, you only... You can only work with what you have. Mm -hmm. Like I only had that experience to that point. I think 
I think if I had it to do over again, I would be less, I'd have been more versed in history. Mm. In other words, I would have spent more time appreciating, delving into why I loved the songs that I loved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just, so what was it about them that maybe be more intentional about that than I was? Yeah. Um, I wished I had had more confidence than I allowed myself to have back then. But again, you know, we talked about having the first hit is what sort of helps that along, nudges that along. Yeah. Uh, because you kind of are, are wondering, does anybody care? Yeah. Is, am I, is there, it, am I making a difference for anybody? I mean, yeah. my mom likes my songs. <laughs> right. It's usually but, the first, the first audience is, is mom, <laughs> dad, or sister, you know? Right. And then I think I might trust my sensibilities a little bit more than I did mm. uh, to be, and maybe that would, if I had more confidence, I probably would have done that. Yeah. But I found myself deferring oftentimes to just accepting a line that my co-writer thought was cool instead of like, dude, I think we can make this better. I think I would be more, I would, I would make myself be more prone to dig deeper. Yeah. Got to learn that stuff. You got to learn and you, you learn from experience and you learn from, you know, when you first start out, when I first started out, it was very over here or over here. I thought either I was absolutely terrified. Oftentimes I was very scared. Just being in the room with people I had written hit songs that I admired or respected and didn't know, you know, and they didn't know me. And, you know, it's like a blind date of sorts. Right. Also on the other side, I would be like, I have the world's best idea. And I was, I didn't want to, I, if, if they wanted to write something else, I'd get kind of pissed off or something, you know? So I just thought I knew better. And, you know, the answer is actually somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Usually is. Yeah. Just <laughs> usually is. But learn for me, learning how to be a good collaborator is just a skill I, I, that's, it's honed over time. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm sure I have much, much further to go, but I try and just be flexible okay and and understand like what is my role right i think that's why there are certain combinations that i love because i've done them i've written with you and brandon so many times i i know where we all fit right in the in the machine agree whereas you know when you're writing with other with new people sometimes you yeah. just don't always know and mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't work and mm -hmm. that's okay too it know? is okay you know you can't have a fear of failure it's it's mostly failure with very brief pockets of 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 a win. That's right. You know. That's right. So you kind of have to remember that that it's, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Yeah. It's uh, so when my son Randy was making his record, he was on Mercury Records back in you know 2010, 2011, and I told him this this advice I followed for myself because I actually had another record deal on an independent label from 94 to 98 97 okay. 98 called magnetone records made the record pretty much that I always wanted to make yeah songs were good nine out of the ten songs I'd written a couple of them were like really good I still love them to this day um I I told I advised him, which I usually don't give advice unless I'm asked. Yeah. But, and maybe it was just at a point of trying to encourage him. It's just like, dude, make the record that you love because yeah. it's your record. Uh, when at the end of the day, that's one thing I learned about losing the Warner Brothers deal is that 
after the phone conversation that says, we just don't know what we've tried and we just don't know what to do with you. Mm -hmm. Those people all went into work the next day. Yeah. And I didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a job. <laughs> and yeah. so you have to look out for yourself too because nobody cares about you like you. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that in there as well. Sure. So I don't know where that came from, but I'm just. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that that tracks. Well, and maybe it maybe it's stem from a writing standpoint is just like love the song the best you can that you're working on. Yeah. You know because it's your song, your name's going on it. Yeah. So definitely, you know, be a part of the room. Yeah. That's it. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you. Are we done? We're done. That's it. That's uh, fun. Yeah. It, the time flies. It's been almost 50 minutes. You can believe that. <sighs> I can't. Yeah. All right. There you go. That's it. That's the pod. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of 10-Year Town. We're doing a Q&A episode at the end of the month, so if you have a question for us, go to 10yeartown.com and click on the Q&A button to submit your questions. We also drop new interview clips throughout the week on all our social channels, so follow 10-Year Town on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, etc. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple and Spotify podcasts to get all new episodes every Tuesday. We'll see you next week.